everybody. This is Liz, and I'm here with the second episode of Lone Star State of Crime. And I hope you guys have um, been able to listen to my first episode um, and that you've also checked me out on Instagram where I'm just at Lone Star State of Crime. And I've posted um, photos of each of the officers I'm going to discuss today. Today, my episode is about cop killers in the Houston area. And um, I've posted all the photos there of the slain officers. I was tempted to post photos of the assailants, but just because they're so fucking disgusting and horrible. And a lot of them, you know, I guess one of two of them in particular are so young that it's just it's just incredibly disturbing. And I think just out of respect for the people who lost their lives and their families. Um, I didn't post their photos and why give them notoriety? Like, it's obvious that at least one of them is totally motivated by being what he considers to be like a badass. And so no, no, I won't post his photo, but you're welcome to look for these guys. I am going to say their names only because I want to tell the story as completely as I can. So um, really, my my inspiration for this episode on Houston area cop killers is just the recent news coming out of Houston of an overall spike in crime. Um, I know the mayor commented on it specifically, and there's been a lot of violence directed towards uh, law enforcement at nationally, but they're really feeling it in Houston where they've had this 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 episode is starts in September 2019 and there's five officers who've been killed in that time. And I've read stats on the city or, or the, the metropolitan area has lost as many as seven. Uh, so, um, so I'll talk a little bit at the end of the episode about uh, Mayor Turner's statement on the increase in violence. Um, but definitely, uh, Folks are seeing that. And and I also saw some press about um, FBI studies showing a 19% increase in um, officer fatalities uh, in the last year. And it's very sad because these folks are people that, you know, are dedicating their lives to to protecting the public. So it's really sad. Um, so again, if, if you have, check out their photos on Lone Star State of Crime on Instagram if you have feedback, questions, or suggestions on, on issues to cover in the state of Texas in terms of crime, any kind of crime, um, email me at lonestarstateofcrime at gmail.com. Uh, so yeah, okay, I'm going to go ahead and get into the case. Um, and, and one thing I just want to say real quick is that you're going to see a trend in all almost all of these cases that there's that every single perpetrator, I think except for one, has been linked to domestic violence of some kind. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing to notice and to pay attention to um, when we talk about, you know, awareness of crime and understanding, like, who's at risk of committing crimes. And almost every single assailant here, if not all of them, have a pretty lengthy criminal record. And um, so I just think, you know, there's obviously some stuff going on where folks are offending and continuing to offend and that it's starting 
maybe in the home, uh, or there's definitely almost always domestic violence as part of the picture. And um, what's really troubling is that these officers, many of them are being killed responding to these domestic incidents. And so if you just think about what it's like to go into someone's home where you don't really know what's going on, um, that's, that's really upsetting and really scary. And I just, um, I, I just, maybe that's elementary to people like, yeah, of course, you know, maybe most of responding to crime is in people's homes. I, I guess it is, but these, these situations that we think of as like, you know, domestic, we don't maybe, I mean, my feeling is we don't maybe take them as seriously, but like they're tied to like very serious crime. Not not that domestic violence would ever not be considered serious crime, but I'm saying crimes where people are losing their lives. Like it's not just about an assault, which is horrible in and of itself. Like, but I'm just saying like um, it's it's really something to take note of. And I know that um, when th- there was a lot of press uh, when there was last um, like w- during that. Uh, shooting in Texas, a mass shooting that took place in that church. I don't remember, I'm sorry, the exact name of the town, but the, um, the assailant was, um, had been charged with domestic violence and, and that really sparked a look at a lot of the recent, um, mass shootings and many, many, many of the perpetrators had also been charged or convicted of some kind of domestic violence. So, um, it's definitely something to look for. Um, so on Monday, the 9th of November, 2020, so this was just a week ago, today's Sunday is when I'm recording this, but Sunday the 15th, but um, this was just almost a week ago. Sergeant Sean Rios, I'm sorry, Sean Rios, age 47, father of four and a 25-year veteran of HPD, Houston Police Department, was killed while responding to a domestic violence call from the 7,000 block of the North Freeway. Note that he was on his way to work. He wasn't actually officially on duty yet. He was on his way to work and heard that there was a shootout going on and stopped to help. (laughs) So um, the caller claimed that shots had been fired on the freeway. So... um, that marked the fifth Houston area officer killing since September 2019. Now, again, I, I, know, I noted that there were other counts that had that at seven, but I'm going to talk about five today. So um, I'm just going to go through them real quick and then go back and talk about them in detail. So um, Sergeant Harold Preston, age 65, who was set to retire this year in 2020, was shot and killed also while responding to a domestic violence call on October 20th, 2020. He had dedicated 47 years of his life to service on the Houston Police Department. December 7th, 2019, Christopher Brewster was shot in the line of duty in East Houston. He died of his injuries the day after. He was shot by Arturo Arturo Solis, age 25. Um, This this entire incident was captured on body cam. Um, Kaya... Or I guess it would be Kayla Sullivan, but she spells it K-A-I-L-A. Sullivan was killed by a man wanted for domestic assault on December 10th, 2019. She was actually a Nassau Bay officer, and Nassau Bay is 25 miles from Houston. 
And this this man, she was in the middle of arresting him uh, when when he fled and struck her with his car. Um, on December in December 2019, Harris County Sheriff's Office Deputy Sandeep Dalawal was shot in the back of the head during a traffic stop in Northwest Harris County. The perpetrator was a convicted felon who had a warrant out for his arrest for parole violation. And it would actually be, he was, he had two parole violations. So I don't really understand if you have one, wouldn't you already be behind bars? I don't really, and I just want to disclaimer, another disclaimer. I don't really, I'm, I'm learning a lot about like the process, like arrest, charge, you know, all those things like that and how to research court records. So I have a lot to learn, but I just thought this was important to package this together and talk about it as a whole. Okay. So let's start with Sean Rios. Um, again, he was 47. Um, he was a Sergeant. He was a Marine. Um, he had 25 years of service. Um, and he had a four-year-old. No, I'm sorry. He had four kids age nine, 12, 14, and 17. And he was married at the time of his murder. Um, Robert Solis is uh, has been charged with his murder. So again, when he was, uh, killed, he was on his way to work. He was in plain clothes. His assignment at the time of his murder was working the Bush international airport. So, um, he, he, there were calls in that he could hear on his police radio that there was a gun battle on the North freeway between a Mercedes, which you'll hear about this car several times and a white pickup truck. Um, as he approached the Mercedes, known to belong to Robert Solis, Solis fired several shots and Rios ran, fleeing to a nearby hotel. There, there's some conflicting accounts. Um, other witnesses say that Solis fled to a, a, a nursery that I guess is in, in the vicinity and that that's where the gun battle took. I guess there was a gun battle on the freeway and then, so, then Rios got out of his car and Solis chased him and they or they ran and continued the gunfight at this nursery either way witnesses say Solis fired shots at the officer who fell to his knees but then was able to flee to a nearby hotel where he was bleeding profusely and asked the proprietor for help and to call 911 but he died on the scene um so Solis left the scene in his car, fled to a transmission shop that's associated with his family. I'm not sure if they own it or what, but there, I understand that's where the surveillance footage came from, was a parking lot nearby where he is caught on surveillance with an individual police are still searching for in a black pickup. Um, they believe he was an accomplice. Um they there are you can search for you know Sean Rios Robert Solis and you can see some images of this individual that they're still looking for they identify him um as having like some specific facial hair and that he has a black pickup and the the rims on the pickup are mismatched so you can check that out uh, if you're living in the Houston area um so just just to give you a picture of this asshole Solis and his crimes that he's committed um, he threatened to murder his girlfriend in 2017. At the time of his arrest for the murder of Rios, he was out on bond for illegally carrying a weapon in a car. 
and and he was he was given a hundred dollars bail for that charge. So I don't really I don't really understand that. And, and you know there could be extenuating circumstances like maybe there's an issue with overcrowding. I'm not sure, but he also had a marijuana charge at some point. Um, and there were several reports of road rage rage incidents, which I'm going to get to those later, where he's actually firing his gun at at cars and drivers like while he's driving. Um. He just sounds like a complete, just a total piece of shit that shouldn't be allowed to walk the planet. Um, and then another charge that I'm going to discuss later is that he has an aggravated assault charge for pointing a gun at a gas station attendant in January 2020. So after the gun battle um, on Monday, on Tuesday, um, narcotics officers were on the Katy Freeway and they identified him driving in a car. And they arrested him at that time. There was a traffic stop that apparently shut down the freeway. And um, officers used Rios's cuffs, his handcuffs, to apprehend Solis, which is like a really sweet practice. And that's like, you're going to see that repeated throughout these cases where the officers somehow have, have the cuffs when they're searching for these assholes. And use them on the, on the suspects. Um, so I, I've been able to determine that there's, there's not a lot of court records on this yet because I guess it just happened, but he, he, he did, Solis did appear in court on Wednesday, just this past Wednesday where he was charged with murder of Sergeant Rios. Um, he was also identified in court as a member of the sauce factory gang sauce as in like hot sauce. Um, and press on this, you know, describes images on social media of him, like doing like gang signs and having firearms and stacks of cash and all that. He just sounds like a fucking complete piece of shit. <laughs> so, uh, his bond was set at the Wednesday court appearance at $500,000. And then he was back in court the next day where he faced additional charges stemming from, Offenses committed in January and October of 2020. Apparently at the Northside gas station, he was ident- He was um, asked for ID when he tried to buy cigarettes. That's how young he looks. He looks really, really young. Um, and he became violent at being asked for ID and um, pointed a gun at the attendant. And then an individual that was with him, with Solis at the time, pistol whipped the attendant. So... He's charged with that crime, and uh, he fled the scene in his Mercedes Benz. <laughs> so um, the other charge stems from him shooting at a car and driver completely unprovoked. They found shell casings at the scene, and also I identified the same car from that altercation. Um, so I don't see another court date or anything in the records for Harris County, but I, I hope to be able to keep listeners apprised of that and, you know, to follow that and make sure, like, just to hear the satisfaction of him getting, like, put away for a long time. Um, Okay, so the next officer, if we go back in time, is October 20th, 2020, which is just, you know, not even a month ago. Um, Sergeant Harold Preston, who, again, was about to, was going to retire in 2020. And, and I read some press where his wife, or it, it was actually his fiance, 
was discussing how he had continually put off retirement because he just loved his job, but he, I guess it was his time to retire after, um, you know, years on the force, but he, that's how much he loved his work was that he just kept putting it off. Um, so Sergeant Harold Preston and two other officers were responding to a call from a woman who was trying to move out of her residence. Um, it was an apartment near highway 288 in Houston, which she shared with her husband and their 14 year old son. So the boy's father wouldn't allow her to enter to obtain her belongings. And when officers arrived at the apartment complex at 9:30 AM on the 20th, the 14 year old son and the wife came out of the, or I guess the, the woman wasn't in the apartment, but the son may have been, but they all spoke the woman and her son with these officers outside the unit for about an hour. And then the son used his keys to enter the apartment. And at that time realized his son, his father was armed and fired several rounds, hitting his son and two officers, Harold Preston and officer Courtney Waller. The shooter after firing on officers was hit in the abdomen by officers, I think by Preston. And Preston, suffering from multiple gunshot wounds in the head, shoulder, and spine, was taken to the hospital and died there, surrounded by his family. Um, and I, I read statements that doctors did everything they could to keep him alive as long as it took for him to get his family members there so they could say goodbye to him. Officer Waller recovered from what I understand was a gunshot injury to her arm. Um, and the teenage son who was shot by his father was taken to Children's Hospital and survived. Following the shootout, it still took SWAT and K-9 units deployed to the scene to get the suspect to surrender. I think it was several hours of him um, resisting arrest. And so I, that, that, that right there, I mean, think about that. Just this one incident, you know, and, and the funds that it takes to, you know, what these violent criminals are costing our taxpayers. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about, like, if you think about a SWAT unit and canine unit to get this guy off the street, uh, and you're going to see later, he's a, he's a career criminal. Like, um, it's just astounding, uh, the, the resources that are spent on this. And I just, it just makes me wonder, um, you know, and I know I'm, I'm not an expert on this at all, but like, what, what could we be doing to prevent or identify these folks? I, I'm not sure. Um, I know I've had conversations with friends of mine about that, those kinds of concepts. And I guess really quickly, like people start to talk about, well, the, that would be racial profiling or that would be a violation of privacy or, you know, so, so it's, it's, I don't know how we can have those conversations without getting into those issues or, or addressing those issues rather, you know, in a way that satisfies folks. But like, it, it does seem like, you know, especially if you consider that this was a woman who was leaving and everyone knows that, um, it, when there's domestic abuse, and what we call like coercive control, if folks haven't heard of that term, it's, it's really interesting to read up on that. Coercive control is, is really like abuse between, you know, I guess in a, in a 
interpersonal relationship that doesn't really all always involve violence. It's really more about controlling the person and isolating them. So, um, when we're talking about relationships that are characterized by that kind of abuse and, and, you know, domestic violence included, um, we know that when people leave, it's the most unsafe time. And so clearly that's what was going on. She was leaving and he couldn't deal with it. So, and, you know, just think about that. You don't think maybe that doesn't affect you because it's not in your relationships, but like, what if it's in a relationship of someone that you love or extend that out to like, you're a taxpayer and, you know, these people, these individuals that are exerting this kind of abuse on people cost society like billions and billions of dollars, I'm sure. Like, it would be so interesting to look at that. I mean, look at this particular case. It costs one officer his life. Two people were, two additional people were shot. You know, it took hours of police presence in the apartment complex. SWAT team was deployed. Canine units were deployed. Think of the training, the equipment, everything that goes into that for this one piece of shit asshole motherfucker, you know? So, and then, and then this guy's going to go to court and then he's going to be incarcerated. Like it's just a drain anyway. So he surrenders. This asshole's name is Elmer Manzan, Elmer Manzan, age 51, um, he is actually an El Salvadoran national who has a lengthy criminal history um, with offenses in the U.S. extending back to 1994. Um, he and I, I think I read something that, you know, he is undocumented and that he had actually been. I, mean, I don't I don't want to say this. I mean, this could be incorrect, but I think that ICE had already been aware of like the fact that he was um present because I do think there have been initiatives to identify like violent criminals that are um, undocumented and to try to remove them. And I know ICE has removed many of these folks, but this guy, I guess, missed, wasn't on their radar or, or maybe he was, and it, it just, it's a process that takes time. But um, so his arrest record includes arrest for felony assault, violating protective orders. Hello. Like he's obviously, you know, a domestic violencer, I mean, clearly, and then he's done a lot of jail time. So, so think of what this is costing us, you know, Manzan is set to appear in court on December 2nd, 2020 to face charges of attempted capital murder, capital murder and aggravated assault. He will also face two federal gun possession charges since he's a convicted felon and isn't supposed to have firearms. Um, Preston, the officer who was killed, left behind a daughter, age 23, a fiance that I mentioned previously. And also the last thing I'll say about him, he actually lived with his elderly parents and, and was their main caretaker, which is just, I mean, that's very rare. People are often not that devoted to their elderly parents, especially if they are, you know, they have a career, they have their own family. And he, this guy's like living with his parents to take care of him. I mean, can you imagine so rest in rest in peace, Officer Preston. Um, the next one is a young officer. This is really sad. I mean, they're all sad, but um, Sergeant Christopher Brewer, uh, 
this police sergeant was gunned down while responding to a domestic disturbance in, Mag- in Magnolia Park in East Houston on December 7th, 2019. He was married um, and 32 years old at the time of his death. At 5.45 p.m. on the 7th, Brewster and other officers responded to a call from a woman reporting her boyfriend was assaulting her with two weapons. Brewster and the officers went to the address given to him on the call and found that the couple wasn't there. They had they had left. So he he drove through the area and spotted the couple three streets away from the address that was given on the call. And um, the woman who made the call saw the officer and began pointing to the man that was with her, later determined to be Arturo Solis. Um, it's interesting because three of these perpetrators have the last name of Solis. Um, Brewster at this time was unarmed. Okay. He sees this couple, uh, I guess he's on, he's, he's parking his car there on the street. He's unarmed. He gets out of his car and he begins to wave his hands to get Solis's attention. And at this time, Solis pulls out a firearm, empties it into Brewster, shoots him several times and takes off running. Officers later found him and his weapons a few blocks away at an elementary school. And despite being mortally wounded, Brewster had managed to draw his weapon and radio in a description of the man who shot him. After the shooting, when Solis was apprehended, he admitted that he knew Brewster was a cop, that he intentionally shot him to evade arrest, and that he wishes he would have shot his girlfriend. I mean, can you, can you just, I mean, you know, this is just, I just, it, this is just, it's just, it's so depressing. You know, this is, these people are giving their lives for this kind of bullshit, for this kind of stupid fucking just inane, senseless shit. Uh, so, uh, the killing was, was caught entirely on body cam footage. Um, so I think that's, I, I wonder if cops are so glad to have that because there's no question about what happened. Like, I mean, not that Brewster would have ever been charged with anything. I'm just saying like, it probably saves a lot of effort and time, which is going to save money when you have to demonstrate what happened. Um, Brewster was wearing a bulletproof vest. And this was really interesting because there was a lot of, you know, people were like, what happened? Because he was wearing a vest. And I guess that at the time of the shooting, he wasn't visibly injured anywhere outside of the vest area. So they were, they were really worried and they did an investigation about the vest because, you know, people are trusting their lives with these vests. Right. And so they were really worried that the vest had failed, but they did an investigation. And I read that what they determined was the vest did not fail. It was unfortunately that, um, that the, that he'd been shot right outside the armor. So specifically, I think that the shots hit him between his belt and the vest. So I guess in his abdominal area, um, I think that's correct. So, um, so HPD police chief Art Acevedo and, and, you know, Acevedo used to be the police chief here in Austin and recently has moved to be the chief in Houston and he's been very outspoken and um, s- supporting of, you know, closing loopholes in in uh, some of the gun 
you know, access to firearms by people that are not like a former spouse. So folks that would be like a former, just like someone that you dated or an old boyfriend, like that they also are going to have restrictions on gun ownership if they have a domestic violence charge. Um, I think they call that like the boyfriend loophole. So he's, he's been outspoken about supporting that and he's been really criticized for that. But as you can see, like it would save lives and it would save officers lives. So, um, he's been outspoken about that. And he's also been outspoken about, um, you know, protecting, like he's been speaking out about protecting officers and, I believe, you know, he, he's been outspoken about some, some issues regarding COVID. Um, and I just don't remember exactly what those were, but anyway, I, I know that he's been definitely an outspoken chief and, um, and he, he's been so really eloquent in, in wanting to pay respects and honor to these fallen officers. And he said of Brewster, the best of the best get killed because they are the ones that don't wait, you know, because this officer, um, got, got out of his car and was attempting to like make contact with the suspect in an unthreatening way, you know? So I just, I'm going to read that again. It's really sweet. Um, the best of the best get killed because they are the ones that don't wait. In 2015, Solis had been convicted of assault of the mother of his child. He was also charged with breaking into cars in 2017. And there was an incident in a social services office in 2016 that I read about. So I don't know if he was going to get benefits or it was something to do with, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a public office. So he was there like a health and human services office and he flipped out and slammed doors. And I think he shattered a glass door in the office and folks attempted, I guess security attempted to detain him and he fled. He'd also made threats to family members, physical, you know, threats of physical violence. Um, It just sounded like, I mean, what are we waiting for? You know, um, so this was charged with capital murder and pleaded not guilty. And I, it's my understanding that his not guilty plea is tied to his position and his attorney's position that he's mentally ill. So here we go. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't, I mean, I guess we don't want to get into like too much of that, but, and I also don't want to criticize, you know, our criminal justice system unduly the fact that he's in and out of, that a lot of these people are just in and out of prison. Like they're not, they don't really seem to be like punished sufficiently. But then again, I know there's like sentencing guidelines that have to be met and, you know, you can't put everybody behind bars for everything. I get that. So I don't mean to like throw criticism around, but it just seems like Jesus. So, um, so yeah, I guess they're trying to put forward a case that he's mentally ill. So that's bullshit. Um, he's awaiting jail in, in, in Harris County from what I can tell, but I'm on, I'm honestly still learning how to research these cases um, his next court appearance is set for January 6th of 2021. And, and, you know, I'll just say like, maybe he is mentally ill. You know, I, I don't know who, who am I to say whether or not he's mentally ill. I don't know the guy, but I'm just saying that doesn't give you the right to, or, and nor should we excuse you, you know, threatening people, um, killing people. Right. I mean, this is behavior that, um, 
assaulting people, that's unacceptable. And this person obviously shouldn't be walking the streets. You know, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Right. Um, okay. So next, this is during the same week that Brewster was killed. Kayla Sullivan was killed while making an arrest for domestic assault. Um, the gentleman she's arresting is Tavoris Henderson. He has a this asshole has a stage name because he's he's apparently a rapper in the Houston area, which I think is fucking hilarious. And I'm not going to like mention his name. Um, I know he was also found to be have like a significant presence on social media and to be like living what he deems like a thug life, and he's all badass and shit. So. I'll just leave it at that. Um, on December 10th, 2019, Henderson was attempting to purchase drugs in Nassau Bay. Again, this is 25 miles outside of Houston. He fled. So so a traffic stop was made. Um, Sullivan and other officers uh, attempted to arrest him, and he fled as he was being cuffed. He jumped into his car and struck the Nassau Bay sergeant who died later at a local hospital. Um, she was a 43 year old woman with a 16 year, with 16 years of service on the force. Um, apparently she was like totally beloved and cherished officer. Um, it, and I guess during the traffic stop, sometimes it's not clear, like, did they just, did they make the stop for another reason or did they you know, did they know that he, were they checking plates or whatever? I'm not sure. I mean, those kind of details I think are so interesting, but she was making a traffic stop and realized the driver had a warrant out for domestic assault of an ex-girlfriend. Um, so there were the charge for this assault, um, on December 8th, 2019, uh, Henderson grabbed, scratched, and attempted to kidnap her from Top Golf, where she was attending a work function. <laughs> so he's like there trying to abduct her. Um, he'd also been accused in November of 2018 for threatening to shoot his ex-girlfriend. I hope it wasn't the same woman. I hope that, like, I mean, not that I'm happy that it happened to two women, but I'm just saying, like, I hope that she was able to get out of it, you know, and that's my, that's kind of, but I'm, I don't, I hesitate to say things like this cause I know it's a very unpopular view, but I just, I just wish these women, you know, would like get out of these relationships as soon as possible, as soon as they realize what's going on. And I know from experience, like people can be very charming and, you know, they don't show you this behavior until you're way into the relationship for a reason, you know, cause they want, they know that you're not going to put up with it if it happens early. So there's often like this period of where you don't see these behaviors at all. But I think once you do, like, I think it's important to remember that once you do see these behaviors, like you see someone being violent and controlling, it's not going to stop. Like it's only going to escalate. Like it's a mathematical statistical fact that once people are exhibiting these behaviors, it's only going to escalate. And that, that that's not like my opinion. That's, that's a fact. And I understand also that sometimes women are in situations where they can't leave or they feel they can't leave for financial reasons or they have children with this person. And I know that's an issue and I'm not, I'm, I'm absolutely sympathetic to that. I'm just saying it would be my wish for these women that it's a very short 
time between the time that they realize this person is violent and controlling, um, or maybe they're not violent, they're just controlling and they get out, you know? So anyway, I just went off on a tangent, but I'm just saying, I hope it's not, I hope this woman wasn't threatened to be shot. And then a year later, he's abducting her from Topgolf, you know? Um, he had several criminal charges in other nearby jurisdictions, including Galveston and Montgomery counties. Henderson had been free on a $50,000 bond related to the alleged assault at the time of his arrest in December 2019. So right there, like, so he's out. And I don't really understand yet how bond works. But yeah, he's, it, it says he's free on bond. And it it was an alleged assault charge. So I don't, you know, that's troubling, right? But again, I know it takes resources to um, to um, detain people. And it also takes resources to figure out if, if, you know, we say it's an alleged assault, like maybe it didn't happen, you know? And so I know we have a process that has to take place and we have to figure out, is this charge, you know, can this be upheld? Like, is this true? So I get it. I'm not... I'm not arguing for like extrajudicial incarceration or anything like that, but it's just upsetting and frustrating when you realize like, wow, this is happening like a lot. So um, after he struck Sullivan with his car, he hid for two days with the help of his mother and her boyfriend. Major fuck up. Now they're like facing charges. I don't know exactly what they are, but... It's my understanding that a tip to Crime Stoppers led to his eventual arrest, which was carried out with Sullivan's cuffs, which is the second time in this podcast I've mentioned that awesome practice of being like, you're going down, motherfucker, and like, you know, making that connection with the slain officer. So I think that's like really sweet. Um, Henderson was charged with capital murder in March 2020 and awaits a December 9, 2020 court date in jail in, in Harris County. So he's still in jail and will be appearing in court soon. Um, so this last one, this is, this is really tragic. And um, this last case made uh, like global headlines. Well, I mean, this officer was in the news around the world prior to his death because he was a Sikh. He was of the Sikh faith, and he was, um, uh, from my understanding, like a visible member of the Sikh community in Houston, which is which is a sizable community. And um, he was the first officer to be permitted to grow a beard and wear a turban to honor his faith, like in his daily life, and and that was celebrated all around the world. Um, Houston is just, I love Houston and, uh, I'm, I'm from Houston and it's just such an amazingly vibrant community, just people from all over the world living there. It's, it's such a, like, it's just, okay, I don't want to get off track, but, um, it's a wonderful place and it made me very proud and happy that that could happen there. Oh, so sad. So, um, he was the first Harris County Sheriff's Department deputy to, to be, yeah, a member of the Sikh community to wear a turban and be to, permitted to grow a beard. And he actually sold a very successful business that he owned and operated in order to serve on the Sheriff's County um, team of deputies. Um, on September 27th, 
Dalwal, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And if I'm not, please feel free to correct me. Um, Sandeep Dhaliwal, D-H-A-L-I-W-A-L. On September 27th, 2019, Dalawal, at the time a 10-year veteran of the force, made a traffic stop in northwest Houston. And again, I don't know if he stopped this person because he recognized, you know, he there was something about, I don't, I'm not sure why he made the stop, but he made this traffic stop. The driver has an arrest warrant out. Um, so while, during the stop, um, I, apparently there's footage of him speaking to the driver and then he returns to his car. When he turns his back to return to his car, this piece of shit, Robert Solis, the second perpetrator with that exact same name, jumps out of the car, runs up behind Dalawal and shoots him in the back of the head many times. Um, and then he f- jumps in his car and flees. This car is later discovered in a Kroger parking lot. And this individual, Robert Solis, is age 47 um, and I'll tell you more about him in a sec. Um, Dalawa was airlifted to a hospital and pronounced dead there. Solis was arrested later that day at an ice cream shop. I wonder if he went to get ice cream after he killed this awesome person. I mean, it's truly like an exceptional person. Um, surveillance video caught him hiding the murder weapon nearby, which was recovered by officers, which I also think, you know, like, aren't people going to change their practices and stop committing crimes knowing that there's so much footage available and the like surveillance is like beginning to cover more and more of the map? Like, I don't really, I guess we're lucky that they're so fucking stupid, but, um, and maybe we don't want them to catch on because they'll be harder to catch. But anyway, So this asshole was out on probation at the time of his arrest. So listen to this. He spent 20 years in prison for aggravated kidnapping of his own son. Uh, So that's, that's a domestic right issue right there. Um, He shot a man in the leg. Apparently that, that shooting was related to him abducting his child. He served only 12 years of his 20 year sentence and he was out on parole. Um, his parole was supposed to extend to 2022. So this is really disturbing because he, he, he violated his parole in 2017 for threatening his girlfriend and also for having a firearm, which you're not allowed to have that if you're a convicted felon. So I, I, I think that makes two parole violations. So wouldn't your parole at that time be revoked? I, I need to learn about this, but I mean, I don't think I'm a stupid person and it doesn't make sense to me that you would be able to violate it twice and still be on the street. I mean, I guess unless you're, you know, they've been looking for you since 2017. I don't, because this happened in 2019. So I don't get that. So he's been charged with capital murder and awaits a December 8, 2020 court date in Harris County. So I, I, I said at the top of the cast that I wanted to talk about Mayor Turner's statement, and he did he did recently make a statement about the spike in violence in the Houston area, which includes the death of these Houston area officers. And he, he did specifically state that domestic violence and suicide calls are way up in response to COVID-19 and the job loss, illness, and death that are associated with the pandemic. So, you know, 
everywhere has been hit hard, but in, in, I've heard, I've read, you know, that domestic violence advocates are also reporting that abuse is on the rise with family members stuck home together without childcare, without open schools, you know, resources are limited. People have lost their jobs. They don't have, you know, maybe their kids were eating at school and now they don't have that. I know, I know schools and, and communities are doing their best to keep people fed through SNAP programs that are distributing food through schools that may not be actually serving meals there, but that people are doing their best, but it's, 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 it can't be enough considering like the, just this, the economic devastation that the pandemic has caused. So I just, I just, my heart goes out to everyone suffering from, you know, not only the illness and the death associated with it, but the economic fallout and how that's affecting families. And I get it. Like, I, I understand it's stressful to take care of young kids at home. I've done it. And my kids are older now, but I cannot imagine taking care of young kids at home right now and trying to work at the same time. Like, I just can't imagine or not. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be able to work at home, but some people can't do that. And I just I, I my heart goes out to them. So the last thing I wanted to say is that, um, you know, because so many of these folks died interfacing with folks that have been convicted and, you know, charged and convicted with domestic assault. And these people are still on the streets. You know, I guess I just it would just be my hope for women that they could. You know, I would just pray that they are able to safely get out of these relationships. Um, I, I saw this domestic violence documentary a long time ago. It was about one of the very first battered women's shelters that was opened in Minnesota. Apparently, they were like a forerunner. Minnesota, there was a lot of um, sort of, um, they had a lot of initial success in in like formulating and opening like these shelters and the models they used to to keep women safe. And this advocate said, what if every woman who is hit for the first time walks out, you know, well, I didn't really say that right, but what if, what if, what if, you know, the very first time someone is violent with you, you're able to leave a relationship. Um, and it, we just see from this, this episode that so much misery, death would, and, you know, resources could be saved. Um, and I know it's not always possible for for victims and survivors, but it's it's such a it's it's such a wonderful dream, you know, that if if you had a loved one in that situation, that they would just immediately get out because it seems like it's easier to leave, you know, sooner than later. But anyway, um, I, I'm just uh, I want to, you know give my respect and love to um, all the people of Houston and all the people of Texas or and all the people everywhere that are suffering under the fallout of COVID-19 and, you know, the, the social issues that are coming along with that. And I hope that everyone can stay safe and, and ask for help if they need it. And um, I want to pay special, you know, respect and love to law enforcement who try to keep us safe and to those who have lost their loved ones who were in, in the line of duty, which I just think is such a sad thing. And my heart goes out to those folks. Um, everyone stay safe. I send peace and love to you guys. See you later. See you next episode. Bye.